Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Got some more hashtag jazz, and I feel like things are getting uh, progressively worse with the jazz. Uh, I didn't realize how bad this season could possibly get. Uh, granted, it I don't feel like it's quite to the level of last season after that loss to Atlanta, uh, where things were just horrible, and I was you know looking at the lottery and figuring out which guys we could draft. Um, but I, I don't know, is, is this kind of what we're going through right now? Is, does this feel worse than that last season where, you know, we're two thirds of the way through a season almost and things are just kind of falling apart? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it's kind of like, I, I, my memory might not serve me right here, but I mean, this is kind of the same thing we went through last season, but in, in a sense, we are winning more than we were last year at this point, I, I believe, um, I mean, we're like winning one, we're losing one, we're winning one, we're losing one, we're winning one, we're losing one. It just feels like if if this was like a teenager, these are some of the worst growing pains I've ever experienced. Yes, yeah, so, so it is interesting, obviously, bring up the fact that we're basically a 500 team, which were we last year at the after that Atlanta loss, like 19 and 28, something. Yeah, like, or like 20, 26, I think. Yes, yeah, something in that range where 19 losses, you know, mid to high 20s. 19 wins, mid to high 20s in losses. So, I mean, I guess you're right there. We are technically doing better. I mean, we've, we've beaten Boston twice. We've got a few wins. But we've also got some horrible, horrible losses. And oh, Lord. <laughs> there's not much else you can say other than that. It's just like, because, I mean... Like I said to you, uh, I was going through some stats in preparation for this, and I was looking at some game logs, and just looking at they have like the win margins, like the the win loss and the the margin of victory. And I just look back, and it says Dallas loss minus fifty, and it's just I I'd suppressed to this point the fact that that happened. I'd managed what's it been like a week now, essentially six days. Mm-hmm. I'd managed to pretty much put it behind me, you know, win over Boston. A decent game against Philadelphia, though still a loss, obviously. Um, although the the Indiana loss didn't help either, where they lost by 27. So, I mean, Trey, you mentioned this before. The the kind of called it the tale of three teams. And over just over this road trip, we've completed this first road trip. We're gonna play the Jazz are gonna play a game at home. I've already forgotten. They're playing Sacramento, isn't it? Um, but like, I guess, tell us about this, this tale of three teams, like how you would describe what we've seen over this, these last five games. I don't know. I mean, we've even, I think I even touched on this at the beginning of the season. There's just like this identity crisis going on. There's like, we talk about wanting to be an elite defensive team and only sometimes does the defense even show up. And then the times that the defense shows up, the offense isn't there. And then we've got uh, people being lethargic up and down the court. We've got people that aren't hustling. We've got people that are too afraid to shoot, i.e. Ricky Rubio. I mean, 
I, I don't know. I don't know really what to classify it as, but we've got like these teams that are like mediocre, middle of the road. Like we're we're just we're we're, do, we're figuring things out. And then there's the oh my god, we suck team. And then there's the oh we're just gonna impose our will and beat the crap out of you teams. I just like pick what the hell you want to be doing. And I did look it up too. Um, Jazz were eight and ten this time last year. Okay, so essentially the same. Yeah. Um, and I mean, honestly, you mentioned that trying to be a defensive team. You look at the two wins they have on this road trip. They held the Grizzlies to eighty-eight points. They held the Celtics to eighty-six points. It's basically right. any any like, time the the opponent scored over ninety, we lost. Granted, the other three times they made it over ninety, they also made it over one hundred and ten. So mm-hmm. it, it's just one night there defensively dominant, imposing their will, like you said, and then the next night they're just a doormat. I mean, I think I went through last year, and I'm pretty sure I brought up one of the podcasts, the number of times that the Jazz allowed over 100 points in a game during that last you know, January to, to April stretch. I could use my fingers and thumbs for a 30-game stretch, how many times the Jazz allowed somebody to score over 100 points in the – Post 2015 2016 NBA, where there's been an offensive explosion, the Jazz were holding teams under 100 points. I mean, just like back in 2010, I, I was looking stuff up around then. The NBA Finals, the game seven, the final score was like 93 89. Mm. And, and there were multiple games that were in the 90s and 80s. And so, like, but the Jazz were basically holding teams to those kind of numbers in their wins. Now they're not. I mean, half the teams they're playing are scoring not just 100 points, but are getting well into 100 points. Right, and it almost seems like these teams are just like having these offensive explosions. Now, I don't think that this is like um, a fluke anymore. I really don't, because I just feel like the guards are just not as good defensively. And even if, like... Last night, for example, Ricky Rubio was on. Like he had a few like terrible turnovers, but he was like the number one source of offense. Donovan Mitchell had what eight points? Like, I'm sorry, but if Ricky Rubio is carrying the team offensively, there's a problem. Yeah, and in when you look at the games where Ricky Rubio did have those kind of games. The Jazz, since Ricky Rubio's been on the team, Ricky Rubio, I, I was looking this up, they've had like, I don't remember exactly how many games, it's something like eight or nine games where he scored 28 points or more. The Jazz were undefeated up until the Indiana game. And even when you look at Ricky Rubio when he scored more than 20 points, they were like 13-2 and two when he was scoring more than 20 or more points. Um, and that kind of shows you that when Ricky Rubio is scoring, they tend to win, and it tends to be a luxury, like you said. He's usually not the one carrying the offense, and in the off game that he is, or I guess the on game, technically, uh, we win almost automatically. When Ricky Rubio is on, the Jazz won. But with such inconsistency, you know, Donovan not being there, I don't know what was wrong with him in the Pacers game. I, I just, I, I can't figure it out where he's taking eight shots. This is a guy who's averaging north of 20 shots a game. And he took eight. 
he's he's never been afraid to shoot, but randomly takes just eight shots in 32 minutes. It, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can make up all the excuses in the world as to what the hell went wrong, and like I even heard of, like. A bunch of like people on the broadcast saying, "Oh well, it's just a five game. This is this is the result of being five games on the road." It's like I don't care. Like you're an NBA team, you have your job to do, and I just like, yeah, I don't understand why Donovan can have like two breakout games and then just completely disappear, and then all of a sudden Ricky Rubio is just on fire, like unconscionably on fire last night. I there was like six seven minutes that we uh, during that seven six or seven minute stretch Ricky Rubio did not miss. Yeah, I mean he missed three shots all night. Four if you include the one free throw he missed, and he was he was plus one on the night in a twenty seven point loss. So he was obviously a positive factor. I mean even with the four turnovers, right? Twenty eight points, six assists, three steals, four rebounds, and a block. So obviously he had a great game, but almost literally nobody else did. When you look at the bench, good on the plus minus is on the bench. Jay Crowder, 25 minutes, minus 23. Royce O'Neal, 15 minutes, minus 25. Uh, Dante Exum, 18 minutes, minus 21. Uh, Raul uh, Neto, minus 10 and 9 minutes. Like, just not playing very well at all. And I mean, of course... Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell also weren't doing very well in the plus minus either. No, and you know, and the, every article I read is like something about like, oh, we just need to communicate better. Okay, well then why aren't you communicating? Why aren't you moving on offense? You guys have seen how good you can be when you're moving on on offense. Like when you guys are not just sitting there stagnant, things are happening. Things things good things are happening. And like even on the defensive end, like you're allowed to have those certain like instances of lack of communication or just a complete defensive break. But when it's happening in the beginning of the game and then you have to dig yourself out of a hole, yeah, you're probably going to give up at some point because you've put so much effort into coming back. Yeah, and I mean if people are saying that this team just needs to communicate more or they just need to get their bearings, I just can't buy that. I just well, can't. Players. Yeah, this is a team that for the first time, I, I believe I heard this rolling around early in the season, for the first time in Jazz, like Utah franchise history, they rolled out the same starting five in, week, in game one that they did the previous year in game one. Like the first time ever. Hmm. So you're telling me that in a team that had, like, what, two roster changes? You swapped out um, uh, Jonas Drebko for Georges Ning, and you added on Grayson Allen. That's pretty much the only roster change I can even think of. Yeah. Um, maybe there's a couple other smaller ones, but you're, you're rolling out basically the same nine-man rotation with a couple of different guys at, like, 10 and 11 and 12. And you're telling me that this team that has effectively the same players as last year's second-round playoff team, these guys can't communicate? Seriously. It's... Like, yeah, it's, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And, I mean, they even said, you know, a couple games into the season, like, we know what we're supposed to do. We just need to execute and we need to communicate. Okay, well, show that you know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> 
and, and they've showed they know how to do it. This isn't like last year where, you know, maybe the whole team, they went like, I don't know, 30 and whatever the losses would be, if it, what, 30 and 52. This is a team that had a really good stretch down the back end of the season, showed they knew how to play well, showed they, they knew how to be a playoff threat, and then they just forget. To me, that's not a communication problem, a chemistry problem. That's a player problem. Um, but we're going to get into that in a little bit. We do need to uh, talk about something from our last episode. We did an over-under on some of the things um, about what we thought would happen over this. Uh, it was a 12-game stretch that we talked about. Uh, it included this five-game road trip and then the next seven games. Ten of those 12 games were on the road. Uh, or will be on the road. We've already seen five of them. We've got another five coming in the next seven games. Uh, so, Trey, you've got uh, most of the notes on that. I didn't keep it uh, written down. So let, let's go over some of the over-unders um, and what we thought they would be and what we've guessed to kind of hold ourselves accountable to what's going on right now so far. Uh, granted, it's not over, but let's let's see what's going on. Well, we saw... <laughs> I I was I would took uh, the Jazz would go over the twelve games nine and three. Um, they're holding true to that. They just have to win the next seven. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you so, said, so I you I said they would go under. Yeah, so I set the over under like five point five, uh, and and I took the under and you took the over. You you were very optimistic and I and I'm I'm proud of that because you're you're a lot more optimistic than me. Um, but but so far I'm looking a little smarter. Um, granted, if, if they win just four of those games, I will be wrong. Um, and, and you'll be at least closer. I mean, your prediction will be off, but you, you technically went with the over on that one. Uh, so mm-hmm. four out of the next seven is doable, but with the team we've seen so far, I'm skeptical. Which team? <laughs> <laughs> the team that showed up the most is the one that sucks. Two out of the five games, <laughs> yeah. it's been the sucky one. Although I guess uh, two out of the five, they were okay, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Admirable, I guess. Um, next one, I said free throw percentage over 74 after 12. So far, I am horribly wrong, cause, and you even said under on that one. Um, my gosh, the free throws are, wow. It is painful. Yeah, what did we... In the Dallas game, didn't we set like a record for like most missed free throws, or something like that? Other something than that... second worst loss in franchise history. <laughs> like... Yeah. Oh, I don't even want to look at the stats from that game. It was just a skid mark on the game of basketball. Yeah, it's just really bad. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to look up what our free throw percentage has been over the. Uh... So our, as our free throw percentage right now as a team is 71. That's... God, it's even got it's gone down. Uh, yeah, it has. It's got um, that's three that's three points. Three percentage points. Oh, yeah, my it, my goodness, it was at 74.2 when we recorded last. Well, they were shooting free throws a lot better. All right, let's see. Okay, so in the five games. Let's see what Basketball Reference spits out. 65%. <laughs> that is like my personal free throw percentage. 
Actually, mine might be better than that. <laughs> That's so bad. Oh. Like Derek Favors himself shoots better free throw percentage than that, and he sucks at free throws. Oh my god! I like. I'm surprised he even makes the two or three he does. Yeah, like I, I've said this about the Jazz, and I used to say it about Utah State, though I can't really say that this year. Um, when the Jazz go to the free throw line for two free throws, you can guarantee they're going to miss one of them. That's a hyperbole, but not by much. The Jazz are almost a coin flip at the free throw line right now. I mean, 65%? Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, even Ricky's been missing, and he's a career 89 point, or like, what is it, like 89% free throw shooter? Yeah, something in the mid to high 80s. He's yeah, a good free I mean, throw shooter. Yeah, and he's missing like crazy. Yeah. All right, well, what's, what's the next one? Uh, turnovers under 12. You took the under because naturally, uh, they're way over that. Yeah. 16.2 turnovers per game in the last five. My gosh. Hold on. I ball. (laughs) My gosh. I, I don't know how a team is just so bad. I don't, I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like. You guys have been playing basketball pretty much your entire lives. Like, you know when it is a good idea to throw a pass, you know when it's a bad idea to not throw a pass. I have never played professionally in my life, but I still know when it, when I do see a good pass, that I'm going to take that. But if it's a bad pass, I'm not passing that. Yeah, see, I mean, I'm, I'm not exactly a point guard throwing a ton of passes, but I'm kind of the same. I don't really have a lot of passes where they're just dumb passes. I take some, like... The only times where I'm throwing a pass and it's just going wildly out of bounds or off somebody is I occasionally throw like a bullet pass where I'm trying to fit it through a tight space. It's like those are ones that happen, but I'm not throwing dumb passes like I see some of these guys doing. Sure, yeah, like it's stupid passes and they're trying to like force the issue when they're throwing these passes. I mean, that's basketball 101. You never force a pass. Yeah. Um, next, next one, we had Rudy double, double, uh, we said over on the, what did you say? You put like 10.5. I put put a line at 10.5. So we thought whether you get 11 or 12 out of 12 games, uh, we both took the over, didn't we? Yes, sir. So we're still both technically in the running there. Rudy Gobert missed it against Philly. He had nine rebounds and like, or however many points, I think it was like 12 or 15 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we just barely missed out on that, but. He gets one more potential miss, and that was his first game this year without a without a uh, double double. So he's sixteen for seventeen right now. So I think he can go six for seven in the next. That's seven great. Games. I mean, next time we do an over and under, we're just gonna choose individual statistics. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Rubio, thirty point games, uh, over, and then he'll get he'll get a bunch of thirty point games, right? Yep, and then we'll feel really good. All right, so that's that was pretty much all of them, right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Um, so that's us holding ourselves accountable, more or less. Um, so let's let's talk about uh, I alluded to this earlier, and I can't remember how I I left off. Um, something about. Uh, we're going into 
uh, talking about Washington and they're they're looking to trade a bunch of guys. Um, trade uh, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter, John Wall. I think the report said basically everyone's on the table uh, to get traded. Other guys are a lot more likely. Guys like Bradley Beal and Otto Porter. John Wall is essentially immovable. Now, because I don't think people don't want his services, it's they don't want to pay him $40 million per year for the next three years. Um, so, here's the thing. Uh, what do you think it would take from the Jazz to get Bradley Beal? Um, or I guess, would it be worth it for the Jazz to give up pieces? You'd basically be giving up at least Ricky Rubio. Um, or you know him or Derek Favors. You'd probably be giving up Dante Exum. Um, you'd be giving up some significant pieces. Uh, you think it's worth it to bring in a Bradley Beal or an Otto Porter, who would probably be a little less expensive than Bradley Beal? Um, I think it's worth it to try and pursue Otto Porter. I think Bradley Beal is talented and as gifted as he is. He is extremely injury-prone. Um, and Otto Porter Jr., I mean dude just would fit the mold. Um, and I feel like if you were to pick up the likes of Otto Porter, you probably wouldn't have to give away much. Um, I think in that trade deal, you usually uh, get rid of Tabo, get rid of Ricky, and then either move Dante or uh, Donovan to full-time point guard, be the starting point guard, move Dante into the two or something. I don't know. I mean, we're very wing heavy as it is, or guard heavy, I should say. So adding Otto Porter, what is he like six seven, six eight? He's a what is he six 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 seven? Hold on, I got the Washington Wizards basketball reference thing up. Um, he is listed at six eight, so he's actually taller than uh, he's taller than I thought he was. I thought he was like yeah, six, and it, six. Well, and that put that puts him taller than Tabo. He's even longer, and he's a defensive-minded player too. And yeah, I mean, if there's anything that the Jazz need right now, it's more defense. Yeah, he gives the Jazz a lot of what they need. He gives them a guy who can shoot, like you said, a guy who can play defense. Um, I know I saw some people thinking of starting him at the four. The guy's listed at a buck ninety-eight, which is uh, that the Donovan Mitchell's. Uh, listed weight is bigger than that. Uh-huh. So I don't know if Otto's exactly playing the four. But yeah, yeah, he, he gives the Jazz just about everything they need. I'm looking up you know, Otto Porter. Well, he's played some at power forward. But... but then there's that question, though, too. Like, I mean, I I was watching – it was on ESPN. I can't remember what's his name. But when he, he and uh, Stephen A. Smith were talking about, like, how there's like the identity crisis kind of situation where it was like the growing pains is like Donovan Mitchell versus Jason Tatum and how they're kind of in similar situations where um, they're in a slump. I mean, there's, there's no ifs, ands or buts about it, but he even said, you know, like, you know who the jazz are missing Gordon Hayward. And I said, yeah, I agreed with that because we do need another person that can garner the attention. I mean, our, Offense is pretty much solely dependent on Donovan Mitchell having a big night. Yeah, and that's that's one of the few times where I've actually watched an entire segment of a uh, first take and not wanted to punch somebody in the face. Because um, <laughs> I pretty much agreed with everything they said, because you, you shared that with me, and I, and I agree with a lot, and I think they're you know, saying we're missing Gordon Hayward, and 
I think perhaps to expound on that, they're not just necessarily missing Gordon Hayward. They're just missing another star. And right. obviously Gordon Hayward fits into that, that mold. So they're not wrong. I'm just kind of broadening the, uh, the terms a little bit. And that's why, and I had this discussion about the Washington trade with some other people. Um, and we were talking about Otto Porter and Bradley Beal. And as we were talking about it, like initially I was just thinking Otto Porter, mainly because he's cheaper, he's more available. It's somebody we can get and somebody who would make an immediate impact. But here's the thing. Bradley Beal solves, or ideally he's the guy that could solve, the problem of needing a second star. Otto Porter takes nine shots a game, averages 10 points a game. Now, he'd bring a lot of those other little things with him. But here's the Mm -hmm. thing. We have plenty of players on this team who will do those little things. We have Royce O'Neal's not having a super good year, but maybe he can bring it back. Joe Ingles does a lot of those little things. Jay Crowder does those things. The guy we're missing is, like I said in that first take, Gordon Hayward, or in this case, we can say Bradley Beal. And the thing is, if we bring in Otto Porter, that's just another nice piece. And I made this right. point. The Jazz don't need more nice pieces. They have plenty of those. What they need is another star. Bradley Beal could come in and be the leading scorer on the Jazz. And that would help the Jazz out a ton. That would help Donovan Mitchell out enormously. And Because and, that's the main thing the Jazz are missing. We had the whole discussion over the summer about getting a second star. Bradley Beal would be that second star, at least the second offensive star. So I guess we were saying mm-hmm. the third star, uh, technically, because we've got a uh, Mitchell and Gobert. But the Jazz need a second offensive star because, like you said, we're dependent on Donovan Mitchell having a really good night, or the off chance that Ricky Rubio has a really good night, or occasionally Joe Ingles. But we have one twenty points per game guy on this team. That's not going to carry us. Yeah. So yeah. that's why I, I'd like Bradley Beal more than Otto Porter. I'd welcome Otto Porter onto this team. Like I said, he's an excellent piece. But if the Jazz are going to make the step from you know last year where they were a close but not quite team to a championship team, they have to make moves like this to get a Bradley Beal or right. And I, and I think we even, we even touched on it um, towards the end of last season where uh, free agency does not look all that great coming up. I mean, there's no like star that jumps off that board. That's going to one be affordable Two is going to long-term commitment to the jazz and one and three, someone who, would fit the mold of the jazz anyways. I mean, who was it like Kyrie Irving and Clay Thompson were like the highlighters of free agency next year. Yeah, that's just about it. I think Kevin Durant will technically be on the market. But yeah. The, there's not really guys that are going to come to Utah. There's other guys like Chris Middleton, Tobias Harris, but uh, I think those guys would be good, but it's also unlikely those guys are going to leave. I think Chris Middleton's going to stay with the bucks. Now that the bucks are doing really well. Right. Uh, Tobias Harris, um, he he could be out there, and I'd certainly welcome him. Um, there's a lot of reasons to like him, but that's like your one option. Uh, I think Kimba Walker's also on the market, but there's no guarantee that A, he's leaving uh, the Hornets, and that B, he would come to Utah. If you went for a Bradley Beal and you kept him for a season, and you showed him, look, you are part of a superstar trio 
on a team that has amazing chemistry, or at least it did. Um, it, yeah, we can't say that anymore. <laughs> uh, but may, maybe we would have good chemistry if we kind of shake things up a little bit. Maybe some of those problems would get fixed, or maybe they'd get worse. I don't know. I can't predict things, but... Right, no, and I keep getting that feeling too. It's just like, man, I mean, maybe they just need a shake-up, you know? Because I just, I kind of feel like it, in some sense, like, I can't remember who posted the article, but they do kind of feel a little too comfortable with each other. And it wasn't until last night that I really saw, like, Ricky Rubio, like, lay in to Rudy last night. I can't remember what play it was, but Ricky came back and it was yelling at him, like, telling him where he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to do, and Rudy just kind of shit sat there and shook his head and walked off the court because he was getting subbed out and just frustrated. And it's like, well, yeah, I, I would be frustrated too, but you also, like – it's nice to see someone calling out someone finally. Yeah, and I think that's something they need. They need Quinn Snyder laying into more fellow players like like Rubio. Right. Is that the other thing too? Like, is Quinn Snyder just being too patient? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I'm not a fly on the wall in that locker room, but I almost feel like Quinn is just a little too patient for his own good. I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, he's being complacent. I guess those are kind of the same things. He's not. He's not willing to make changes either, which maybe he's he's being a lot like a lot of the jazz writers where it's like, we'll figure things out. It's like, okay, but maybe we need to change something. Right. I mean, I don't – and we can't say that it's early anymore. We're 16 games into the season. We can't say that anymore. The season is in full swing. Like, there's – I mean, there is – there is waiting for things to develop, and then there is waiting for things to – um flourish i don't know i mean like what at what point does this do you hit that cutoff point and say okay this isn't working what do we need to do yeah and i mean you know what pretty much happened last year um after that atlanta loss um rudy gobert came back which helped but i mean you know what they did at the trade deadline they traded for somebody granted they had already been on like an 11 game winning streak at that point but they made a trade they sent out rodney hood actually when did they make that trade did they make it out oh, of the trade deadline i don't right. even remember oh no i've got to bring this in all right i gotta figure out where uh jay crowder came into the picture um okay so it was Definitely. Oh, whoops! I'm looking at the wrong. But I mean, that was that was bolstering the roster at that point. I mean, Rodney Hood was just you know he was the easy outlier. It was an easy person to just be like, "Hey, you're gone." <laughs> but and like last season was even different because there was there was injuries. We're healthy. We've had we've like we had Raul Neto just barely come back, and he was literally the only guy that sat out. I mean, Alec Burks was gone for like three or four games. But that doesn't really count. Yeah, nobody's, yeah, nobody's been injured. Um, but I mean, I, going back to that change thing, it's just it can be a small change. Like an Otto Porter, he's not a superstar, um, but he would make a difference. He would shake things up. Maybe you're, you're sending out Tabo and yeah, maybe Ricky and I don't know some other pieces. You know, maybe there's. You know, there could be three players from our team, like, you know, bring in a couple of players and send out two or three. That would shake things up. It'd be like, all right, we are committed to making this better. We're not just going to sit here 
you know, the, the kind of the cliche, the definition of insanity. We're doing that right now. We're doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. We're not going to get different results until something changes. Last year, things changed when Rudy Gobert got back. And then we made a couple more changes. We brought Jay Crowder in, who made a huge difference, and I believe it was part of the reason we were able to keep that good streak going. This year, we can't just say, well, things are going to change. We have to make a change. Maybe it's a trade. Maybe it's benching Ricky Rubio. Maybe it's benching Derek Favors. Shift the lineups. Do something. We can't just sit here and expect things to change. I mean, the Wizards, they've... They've been trying the same thing for the last two or three years. The Raptors, they were doing the same thing for like four years with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. What did they do this offseason? They traded DeMar DeRozan. And look what they're doing. You know, they're, not yeah. just, they're not just sitting on their laurels saying, all right, we're doing all right, let's just keep it together. The Jazz are just expecting to get better without a change. Right, yeah, the con- the continuity, um, the doubling down on continuity just is clearly not working. Yeah, and I, I wrote a long ranting piece about that. <laughs> uh, I've, I'm a lot more sour on the continuity idea than I was, because, I mean, in the offseason, we all bought it. I bought into it. I thought it was an amazing yeah, idea. naturally. And in hindsight, it's 2020, so I, I can't say that I saw this coming, and I can't say that I... Uh, even criticized it a little bit in the offseason, but now we look back and we say that was a bad idea. And I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that it was a bad idea. Because I'd be a hypocrite if I said that. I think what we need to say now is, all right, it was a bad idea. Let's do something else now. Uh, it's like you said, it's not early anymore. There are clearly problems with this team. It's not just the schedule. There are clear problems with this team. A hard schedule doesn't mean you lose by 50 points to the Dallas Mavericks and by 27 to the Pacers. That doesn't happen because you had a five-game road trip. That happens because there are serious problems with your team. Yeah. No, for sure. There's there's some kind of root cause, and either Dennis Lindsay needs to point that out by shaking it up or, you know, someone in the coaching staff. I would hope that it would come from Quinn Snyder. To, like, as much as I love Quinn Snyder – um, I still feel like he's being a little too patient. I mean, I'm, I want I want Quinn Snyder to, not that he will ever be a Jerry Sloan, but I wish he would kind of emulate that Jerry Sloan mentality of just pull your head out of your ass. You know, like every once in a while, just lay into him. Let him know. Let him know the problems. Let him know what they're doing wrong. Let them know what they need to do better. I, I mean, my goodness, Jerry Sloan's rants, they may have been private, but they they became public after a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that could be something. I mean, last year, I mean, Rudy Gobert called out, or was it two years ago? I don't know, Rudy Gobert called people out, called his teammates out. And so, whether it comes from the players, I, I would like it to come from Quinn Snyder, too, because I feel like he's he is part of the problem right now. He's not the only part of the problem. There are a lot of parts to this problem. It doesn't fall on any one person. I know a lot of people have blamed Ricky Rubio. I've looked at Ricky Rubio, and I want to talk about the. The, the Ricky Rubio, uh, there's a bit of a debate about him being the starting point guard. I want to talk about that in a minute. Um, but he's not the only part of the problem because Donovan Mitchell has been part of that. I mentioned Royce O'Neal. I mean, Dante Exum, he's not playing superbly either. Uh, Derek Favors is doing all right, but he's not really on the court. 
and when he's on the court, he may be playing well individually, but he's causing problems. So, I don't know where I was going with all that. Um, <laughs> accountability. What's your policy? <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. it's, let's get to that uh, the Ricky Rubio Dante XM. Because um, this is something that, you know, there, there's people on both sides of this, and I think there's just good justification for both sides. Because I'm in the camp that thinks, you know, I'm on the Dante Exum bandwagon, have been for years, um, never really jumped off at any point. Um, so I think Dante Exum needs a chance to prove himself, to show himself. And right now I feel like he's being handicapped by Quinn Snyder saying, oh, I'm going to stick with Ricky Rubio, that, that patience thing, where Ricky Rubio has had a horrible season so far. I mean, even with the last two games, he's still having the worst year of his career so far. And, I mean, if Dante Exum were having the worst season of his career, he'd be getting uh, DNP coaches' decisions for weeks. But Ricky Rubio is maintaining his starting spot. And I think it, you know, if you, I just think they need to at least try it. Again, it's one of those things where let's change something. Let's give Dante Exum 30 minutes and say, look, you're the starting point guard. Do something. And let's see what he can do. Because he's mm. shown the ability to score. He's shown the ability to at least get assists. I know he's not... He doesn't have the reputation of Ricky Rubio does for getting assists. But he can get that four or five assists a game. He can run the pick and roll. He He's deadly running the pick and roll with Rudy Gobert, throwing lobs and getting to the basket. You know, he's not a maestro out there, but there are things he can do, and he's also able to get to the basket and create points for himself in a way that Ricky Rubio can't. And I think we at least got to give Dante Exum a chance. There's some people that are just saying, well, Dante Exum isn't a... You know, they point to the fact that he can't orchestrate offense. You know, he can't be the true point guard. But I just don't think that's enough of a an argument, especially because this year Ricky Rubio has not been doing that either. So, I mean, what are your thoughts, Trey, on on this debate? Well, I mean, Dante doesn't really – he's not a threat as far as, like, a jump shot. He doesn't have, like, a pull-up jumper where he can hurt you in that respect. I mean, he's more he's more of a spot-up shooter, and he's going to drive. And, boy, can he drive. Um, I mean, he's a longer body, and he puts a lot more effort into the defense than Ricky has been. Um, and – um, yeah, I mean, it, it, being a longer body, he's able to get those lobs up there like Ricky can't. Ricky just kind of blends in, and like if he goes to throw a lob, more often than not, he's been throwing some pretty awful passes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I got to agree with you that I think it's time to give Dante more of those minutes, especially, yeah, shake it up, give him the starting role, see what he can do with it. Because yeah, he may have some nerves because he's like, oh shit, I'm the... I'm the starter now. What do I do? Like, I hope I don't screw this up. That might be the case, but that's another learning aspect for him. Um, but I don't know. I mean, cause for Dante, the sky's the limit for him. He's only going to get better. Whereas Ricky, he's going to be who he is. Um, last season was kind of like a breakout type kind of anomaly for him. I mean, we never saw him shoot that well ever. Um, and for him to continue to hold on to that, 
that starter spot just kind of is to me, if I was sitting on the bench in Dante's position, I would feel a little bit angsty about it because at the end of the day, like you're still watching the same game that everybody else is. You're able to see the things that he's doing wrong and you kind of think about it. Oh, well, I would have done this instead. And you kind of go, you would go out there and apply it. I do see a lot of the lobs that Dante throws. I mean, they're unguardable because he can just not only can he throw it high, but he's already up in the air higher than just about anybody else. So that lob is in the air forever, and it, and he's so good at getting them to commit to his layup that his arm's just going up and throwing the lob for either Rudy or Derek Favors to grab. Yeah, and I think at this point you're looking at Dante Exum and Ricky Rubio. They're contributing about the same, which is not super good. They're contributing in different mm-hmm. ways. There's a difference because Ricky Rubio tends to get more assists He's running the pick and roll, throwing the, the pocket passes and, and different things. Dante Exum is an attacking offensive player. Whereas Ricky Rubio's kinda, you know, playing on the balls of his feet and you know looking around. Dante Exum tends to put his head down a little more and but there's value in that. And honestly, when I look at the Jazz's offense, when you look at Ricky Rubio in Minnesota, he's getting like nine assists a game. Here he's getting six. And Ricky Rubio changed his game. He played a lot like, uh, and I've mentioned this tons of times, he played a lot like George Hill, how George Hill played in the offense, where he was as much a scorer as he was a distributor. Uh, Really more so a scorer than a distributor. And Ricky has been more like George Hill than he has been like his old Ricky Rubio self. And so I'm thinking... In a Utah Utah Jazz offense where the the point guard isn't this eight or nine assists per game kind of player, why do we need a guy like Ricky Rubio? Like he's not. It doesn't have to be Ricky Rubio running the offense. Maybe you put it more in Donovan Mitchell's hands, Joe Ingles' hands. I mean, if your only holdup is that Dante Exum can't slide in all these tricky passes, I mean, that just doesn't fly with me. Oh, sure. No, I like that you brought that up. I was actually going to, I'm glad you brought that up because I totally forgot about it. The system doesn't require a point guard in, in kind of, in a sense. I mean, yeah, the point guard is going to be there to kind of fill that role, but at the end of the day, the offense is not built for it. It's a, it's community. Yeah. And another thing I, I've brought up is that the, the best predictor of winning that I found with this Jazz team, there could be others. And there's some obvious ones, like when the Jazz shoot like 60%, they tend to win, but like that's a pretty obvious one. But one of the lesser-known ones that's been one of the best predictors of winning is how many points the point guard scores. This goes all the way back to Trey Burke and Shelvin Mack, where when they score, you know, with George Hill, when he scored like at least 19 points, I think they lost, they were like 21 and 3 or something in that effect. Like less than five losses and more than 20 wins. I don't have all the the numbers in front of me, but it's in that ballpark. With Ricky Rubio, it's a very similar number. They've lost two or three times when he scored 20-plus points. I mentioned earlier, when he scored 28 points, they've lost now once out of eight or nine games. And so it's not been predicted by assists. It's not predicted by Gordon Hayward or Donovan Mitchell scoring. It's not predicted by Rudy Gobert having double-doubles or Joe Ingles hitting a bunch of threes. The best predictor that I've found tends to be the point guard scoring points because then they can be a weapon. 
and mm-hmm. they're much more of weapons. So if you're getting a guy in Dante Exum who's able to get points on a more consistent basis than Ricky Rubio, I mean, you give Dante Exum 15 shots a game, he's going to do good things with him. So that those are my thoughts on on the starting point guard. Like, Ricky Rubio has his place, and I think he can be a good player, but right now he's not the same guy he was last year, and I don't think he is that guy that he was from last year. I was worried that he wouldn't be because, I mean, last he's had now two years, two straight years, his last year in Minnesota and last year with the Jazz. His post-All-Star break shooting numbers have been great. But early on in the season, they're not good. So, to me, I feel like it's just Rick Rubio coming on late in the season and shooting well. I mean, you, you can't count on that. I don't even know if it's going to happen this season. You can't just count on Ricky Rubio changing himself and becoming a superb shooter because he's not. As much as we'd like to think he changed last season, it's clear he didn't. So, yeah, well, I, I'm curious to know what what kind of flipped in inside of him last season to kind of put out the output that he did. But not to, not that he is. But I mean, you look at Markel Fultz. Ever since that dude's shoulder injury, I mean, he's changing up his free throw routine every single game. I'm like he's not going to be the same player ever again, and he was a number one pick. Um, you can't fix that. And Ricky may have become more efficient last year, and he's shown to be more efficient in some games. Yeah, I mean, you're not. Ricky is who he is. That's that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah, and so that's that's kind of why I'm I'm advocating some kind of change, be it benching Ricky Rubio, like we've kind of. Discussing, at least discussing the moving Dante Exum to the starting lineup. Uh, maybe it's a trade. You know, maybe just send Rick, Ricky out, bring in an Otto Porter or Bradley Beal, and you move Dante or uh, Donovan Mitchell into the point. Just do something that changes. Just that, that changes something. Because uh, I mean, we've already we're beating a, a dead horse at this point. We can't keep doing yeah. the same things. Well, and even still, I mean, oh my God, you, you, they lost by 50. I mean, what kind of a kick in the ass or wake-up call do you need? I mean, they responded well in the Philadelphia game, which I was very glad to see. Obviously, the result didn't turn out so well because all of a sudden there was miscommunication at the worst possible times. Um, and then they followed it up with a win over uh, Boston, who had all their players this time. I mean, Kyrie Irving got into foul trouble. I mean, that was a dominant Jazz performance. And then we play Indiana, and we're back to, oh, what do we do? Yeah, I, I just don't get it. I'm not buying the excuse that you guys were exhausted. You guys get to stay in a flipping hotel every single night you're on the road. I get that you're away from home. You get homesick. I understand that. But you're also professional athletes who get to play basketball for a living. Like, you, I wouldn't say you have a hard job. It's taxing, but it's not hard. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah, good teams – don't use that excuse. That is not an excuse. The Warriors don't lose games because they're on a five-game road trip or because they're on the back end of a back-to-back. They win right. games. Toronto did that to us. <laughs> I mean, Toronto came into our building and just wiped the floor. Yeah, and they they didn't even have Kawhi Leonard, did they, in that game? No, no. Kawhi sat, and they were on a back. They were on the back end of a back-to-back. Yeah, and the Pacers didn't have Victor Oladipo, and it's like right. they weren't. They would. They, they're not making excuses. They're finding ways to win. 
The Jazz exactly. are losing and making excuses for why they lost. It's, oh, we're not communicating well. Oh, we're tired. Oh, this, that. And granted, it's not necessarily the, the Jazz making an excuse. It's a lot of the writers around it. Mm-hmm. Just shut up with the excuses and play freaking basketball. Right. That's all I'm asking for. And that's going to require a change. So it required a change last year. It required a change in attitude, change in personnel, change in a lot of things. They weren't yeah. huge things. But there were some little things. The Jazz need that same thing now, or we're going to see a lot of this, and they're going to end the season 39 and 44 or 43 or whatever the math is. And it's going to be a disappointing season, and we're going to be in the lottery, and we're going to be in the exact same place we were three or four years ago when we were starting restarting this rebuild. Yeah, I would get the chip back on your shoulders. I, I, I play like an underdog play like you guys have something to prove because if that's what it's going to take i mean my goodness you're you're acting like oh we're gonna we're gonna just go in there and win the game because we know what to do do you (laughs) yeah there's this entitled feeling that oh yeah we had the best record after january 28th last year so we're gonna walk in and play an entire 82 game season like that well no no you're not no No, and well, and also they failed to remember the reason they even got there. Like, yes, Rudy went down. You were forced to kind of figure each other out without Rudy, which helped a lot. Honestly, it did. But what got you there in the long run? Defense. You guys were mucking it up. It, oh, my God. We're, it's like a broken record. We're talking about defense every single night. Uh, it's just like if you guys want to be elite defensively, do it. Dictate what the offense does. Look what you guys did to Boston. My goodness. Twice. Yeah. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're starting to sound like, like, a, like a broken record. So we're, prob- we're probably going to wrap this up. But yeah, the, just the, so many things. We could, we could keep going on for another 20 or 30 minutes about this. About needing to play defense. Uh, about having the chip on their shoulder. The changes they need to make. But... We're we're gonna we're gonna end it for now, and we're gonna come back. Uh, hopefully, this upcoming Sunday. The only reason we didn't uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, the only reason we didn't record on Sunday or Monday is because life happened. Yeah. And, and uh, I guess maybe that's the what we need to say about the Jazz is life happened, and now they suck. Which honestly, that's not the worst description. <laughs> Because the Jazz thought they had it figured out, and then life happened, meaning life changes, and they weren't prepared for it. So, mm. I guess wow. that's the way it goes. It's uh, wisdom right there. <laughs> they should hire me as a consultant or something, <laughs> an assistant coach. How about that? I'm open. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. They shouldn't hire me. I'd go in there and slap all of them across the face and tell them to wake up. Maybe that's what they need. <laughs> yeah. I'll put in a good word for you. I'll I'll be I'll be hired as a jazz employee for a minimum of twenty minutes, and I'll just slap every player in the face, <laughs> and they'll be like, "Okay, hey, there's the door." <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's what they need. I hope you guys are. Hope somebody on the jazz staff is listening, and will hire Trey Sanders to be the. Your job title will be face flapper. <laughs> Come into my office. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. This has been Jason Walker, Trey Sanders. We'll talk to you next week, hopefully after some jazz wins. We'll see.